0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to Starting Line, the podcast where we go into the speed force and travel back in time to read The Flash. I'm your host, Corey Cudney, and today we'll be taking a look at the 1999 DC Elseworlds three-issue miniseries, Flashpoint. Flashpoint is written by Pat McGreal with artist Norm Brayfogle and colorist Noel Giddings. And like I just mentioned, this is a DC Elseworlds tale. So in 1999, before we saw the actual return of Barry Allen as The Flash, we got this book where we follow Barry as the main Flash so the events of Crisis on Infinite Earths never happened and Barry never sacrificed himself. So let's get started. We start the issue in a dream. The speaker describes their dream with speed, acceleration, and a whirl of particles and experiencing all that is, all that was, and all that ever will be. The dreamer awakens as Iris West Allen calls out for Barry. Barry wakes up and we hear that Wally's team has found some sort of artifact. We cut to the surface of Mars and Wally is now Dr. West. We see Wally and Co. in spacesuits sporting a fancy new futuristic Flash logo and Barry tells Wally on the comms to take it slow. Wally reaches down to grab the artifact and remarks that it's got some kind of metal or unfamiliar material. He notes that it has some kind of knob or switch and he clicks it over and the artifact starts vibrating. Barry starts worryingly shouting for Wally but it's too late. A lightning bolt shoots down and strikes Wally knocking him down. Barry calls for James Jesse, the trickster from our normal timeline, who seems to be a part of Wally's crew in this one. James, who calls Barry Sir way too much for my liking, tells Barry that Wally's been hit by lightning and remarks that the sky is all clouded over. But Barry's more worried for Wally and tells James to go check on him. Upon reaching his body, we see that Wally is in a state of constant glowing vibration. James calls him a blur. We see a huge space station with the Flash's new insignia on it as Barry is called Professor Allen. Barry orders the whole team to boom back up to the station and bring the artifact with them. As we go inside the space station, we see that Barry is in a Professor X style chair now and he has wires leading from his head to the chair, seemingly to control it. Barry says that he's seen this before and we are transported back to 1956 at the Flash Space Museum on Earth. There's a statue recreating Barry's accident in his lab as a tour guide takes a group of people around the building saying that she'll show them everything from the Flash's rings to a scale model of the deep space probe Odysseus. We see the old Flash logo as well as the new one, Barry Allen's new wheelchair in the background, as the tour guide asks a man struggling behind if he's in the group. He says that he was never a joiner and leaves, and I'm like, All right, dude, what do you have to prove to this Flash Museum tour guide? You ain't got to be so rude about it. He walks into the theater playing the tale of Barry Allen, and we see him come and sit down in the theater as it explains the timeline we're in right now. Along with his regular crime-fighting escapades, it seems Barry Allen took a government role, helping in the Cold War, turning the Bay of Pigs into a successful operation, as well as helping the Special Forces win in Vietnam, all without the public's knowledge. This however is how he became paralyzed, as he got struck in the spine trying to save JFK's life in Dallas. He got married to Iris, JFK served three terms, and he appointed Barry as the head of the space program to man a settlement on Mars. Back to the rude man from the museum, we see another man joining him. Sitting down next to him as we discover that the rude man is Private Eye Ralph Dibney. The new guy asks Dibney what he's found and Dibney clicks on a lighter to read his notepad. The new guy blows it out with a powerful breath and Dibney says that it was really nothing. It was just a mishap on Mars where a scientist grabs an artifact and he got zapped by lightning. Exactly like what we hear happens to Wally all the way in the present. By the time he raises his head, however, the man is gone. So I'm figuring this was probably Barry Allen, and that paralyzing incident is the long con. We cut back to the present, and Iris is talking to someone named Van about Wally, who says they need to boom Wally over immediately. Iris is concerned about the others and says that she needs to let Barry finish his nap before they go because he gets so exhausted these days. Back in Barry's dreams, he says he relives his greatest failure. He's back in Berlin to show Moscow that he's there to help the special forces when they overhear the presidential parade radio where a gunshot rings out. This is the JFK incident. Barry races over across the world at what he says is a velocity he's never achieved before. He makes it with all the time in the world, he says. He catches all three bullets piece of cake when a fourth one comes out of nowhere, traveling at the speed of light to hit him. He's jarred awake while recalling that they informed him later on that there was no magic light speed traveling bullet and he just wasn't fast enough, the fourth one caught him. Iris walks towards him and slips as he has to watch from his wheelchair. He thinks to himself how easy it would be to save her back in the day, but now he just has to watch, and it takes an eternity. Iris brings him up to speed once she's back up and says she wants him to come too, saying that he hasn't been to Earth in the more than 10 years since they first came up there in 1988. Barry says he can't help and he should stay, and Iris, trying to help, mentions the subspace transport Barry invented that'll get them there instantly. Barry tries to give the credit to Val, and Iris has had enough. She tells him to quit playing the martyr, and that she knows that he wants to act like the Man of Steel for the world, and that he can only act weak with her. But by doing so, he's acted like she's the Woman of Steel, but she's at her breaking point, and she needs him there to help her with Wally. He agrees, and he gets ready to go. On the BoomTube platform, Barry tells Jesse to watch over the station and the artifact, and Jesse says nobody's getting near it. I don't know about y'all, but this guy has given me serious bad guy vibes. We see the BoomTube platform on Earth light up and Van is there to greet them. Ira says she knows he'll treat Wally like his own and gives him a hug. Barry greets him saying he hasn't changed a day and an assistant takes Wally away. Van stops him by calling him by his name Snart. Van's assistant is Leonard Snart and we learn that this Van is Vandal Savage. In this reality, Savage and Barry have worked together for more than 30 years. Savage takes a look at Wally and tells Snart to take him and get him worked on fast. They go down the hallway as Vandal says this reminds him of Barry's early days, but says that if they're going to beat this, he needs to tell him the truth. Barry says he doesn't really know what the artifact is, only that it is capable of releasing vast amounts of energy and that it's staying in space until they can learn more, to which Savage agrees. We cut back to the space station and see a hand open the chamber of the artifact and take it. As we travel down to the boom tube platform and see the controlling officer is dead on the ground and issue one ends with James Jesse booming off the platform with the artifact in hand, I knew you couldn't trust him. I knew it. Issue two starts with Barry reflecting in his office on the past events. While he could be dead or dying from the incident, the artifact was stolen out from under them by a man that he hired and thanks to himself that if he could rise out of his chair, that maybe he could stop it. But right now he's useless. We cut to Ralph Dibney, now in the present, answering a phone late at night about a person he needs to find, and sees a shadow in the window from a reflection in the mirror. Upon grabbing his pistol, he checks it out to see that nobody's there. Sue Dibney wakes up to check on him as we cut to the White House with Barry and Savage in the room with the still President JFK. He lightly scolds Barry and Savage defends him, saying that if Barry was lax, then so was he, because he had three men killed by Jesse upon his booming down. Kennedy apologizes and remarks that he's more indebted to these two than anyone else. Barry saved his life, and thanks to Savage, he and Vandal cuts him off, saying that he doesn't look a day over 65. So Savage has kept him immortal, maybe harnessing his power to help others now. JFK says that they have to figure out who James gave the artifact to because he knows he didn't steal it for himself. He says he's been elected 10 times because he keeps the peace and he gets a phone call. Upon answering it, he says that he will let his two guests know. We cut to a funeral and see that it is Wally's. Iris tells Savage that she knows that they did everything they could to save him and tells Barry that at least he's in a better place. Barry, very insensitive if you ask me, questions her if she means heaven. Cutting to Allen Industries, Iris is telling Barry that she doesn't want him going to Odysseus but he says he needs to be alone. He downloaded all the information they had on the artifact to his chair and he needs to sort through it all, nobody interrupting him. Iris calls him a stubborn old goat and we cut to the Odysseus. Barry, thinking to himself, talks about how Odysseus is officially the probe to help gather information on the cosmos beyond, which it is doing, but also thanks to that subspace transport system, it's also his Sanctum Santorum. Ralph Dibny is interrogating a tailor, beating him up and questioning him about James, saying that he knows that that tailor is every criminal's go-to for a new identity. And after a little persuasion, the tailor gives up the info, telling Dibny that he did indeed go there to get a new identity, But he didn't have anything on him but his spacesuit, so Ralph takes that and leaves. He's confronted in the alley by Martian Manhunter, who's in disguise and wants to know about the artifact. Dibni's not giving up any info, so Martian Manhunter says that he'll give Ralph some info if he gives him some and turns into the Martian right before Ralph's eyes. We're back with Barry, who says he's making some headway and kind of understands how much power the artifact has, but still doesn't really understand what it's for and falls asleep as he's working saying that his dreams are about things that never were. We see the cosmic treadmill traveling to the past and the future. We see Gorilla Grodd and even the Flash fighting alongside the Justice League, as he says in his dream, going to battle with non-existent comrades, and notes that the Martian in the League seems to be almost naked. It's also important to note that Barry is the only one in color for most of these panels, all except for Jay Garrick. In the panel with the JLA, Barry says that there's a teenager with With his type of speed, and is surprised when he learns that it's Wally, and he's also in black and white, so Wally obviously doesn't have speed in this reality. Barry says that it's a false dream, but also felt so real. Maybe the life that he could have had given another chance. We cut back to Dibney with Manhunter's hand on his face, showing him something as Manhunter says that he should understand now. Ralph just repeats how horrible it all is, and Martian Manhunter says they have to find the lightning rod. He grabs the spacesuit and says he can track James with it. They follow the trail to a dock where Dibney assumes James took a boat, but Martian Manhunter's not so sure. He goes underwater and pulls the body out, and it is indeed James Jesse. Manhunter says they may still be able to get some information from the body. We're now inside a seemingly reflective room with the name of Immortality Incorporated on it. So Savage has made Immortality into a business, and we see a red blur. Snart and Savage are having a conversation about the red blur, and Snart remarks that the, quote, Occupant is moving at such a phenomenal rate of speed that they can't even see him. We learned that he's trying to vibrate through the wall And Snart says all but one have attempted to do that and that West clone number three is different We see Wally in a room repeating I am the flash to himself over and over again at super speed and Vandal says that he wants him destroyed Snart doesn't understand and savage is more than happy to explain He's happy that he's had brain-dead clones of himself over the years to help him keep himself immortal and he's purposely had Wally cloned and the original euthanized so they could study him without his family's interest. We learn that Vandal's work with Barry over the years to help him regain his super speed has actually just been to study the origin of the super speed, and he hoped that Wally would have the answers. But that that has changed now that he knows the true purpose of the artifact. An alarm sounds, and we learn that the first Wally clone we saw was successful in his vibration attempts and fleas. Savage says there's no need to worry that this isn't, quote, the end of the world. Barry comes back at Iris's behest as they tune into the news and see a speedster crashing down the streets, fighting news helicopters who just happen to get a glance and Barry confirms that it is indeed Wally. We see this Wally clone repeating the phrase "Leave me alone and I am the Flash" over and over until he passes the Flash Space Museum and breaks in. He grabs the Flash suit and breaks out saying, "I am," declaring that he is the Flash. Also, this is where we get an ad for the first Pokemon movie that advertises where you'll see the rarest Pokemon of all. (laughs) Just wanted to throw that in. Wally gets to Allen Industries and says, you did this, breaks all the glass to unveil Barry and Iris as Barry welcomes Wally in. Upon seeing Iris, however, Wally bails and Barry starts in on her. She cuts him off and they're both interrupted by Ralph Dibney, who says Barry has never met him. Iris says that she hired Dibney to find Jesse, and Ralph tells Barry that Jesse did his job and delivered the artifact to Vandal Savage. Barry asks how he could possibly know that, and Ralph simply says, a green Martian told me. Alright, our finale starts with an excerpt from Ralph Dibney's casebook. Recapping the events that we've read so far, and we see Martian Manhunter has gone to face Vandal Savage alone to retrieve the lightning rod. Savage is the only one in the office so Manhunter confronts him and Savage says that he's been waiting for him and would like to chat. We catch up to Wally through the lens of the news copters that have been following him and he is getting tired. A young woman is watching the TV and notices that Wally is heading right for her house and before she can do anything about it, he phases right through the wall and collapses in her living room. She goes to check on him and he starts to get up saying that he can't think straight and questions who she is. She's revealed to be the one and only Linda Park who goes on to marry Wally in our reality, she goes on to touch him and he is burning up, sweating like crazy. Ralph Dibney is catching up Barry and Iris and letting us in on what the Martian Manhunter showed him back in issue two, as a priest in Mars created the lightning rod. It seems he had tapped into some sort of force and created the artifact wanting to conduit to summon it and ended up destroying the entirety of the Mars civilization, setting the whole planet on fire. And if we know anything about the DC universe, it's that Martians hate fire. There was only one survivor, the Green Martian, that we know as the Flashpoint event created a wormhole and sucked him in, landing him on Earth. Barry asked Dibney if the Martian was almost naked. Dibney's all like, yeah, and he's a little confused as to why that's even relevant. But Barry says that the Martian obviously has the situation under control and that he needs to worry about Wally. We're back in Savage's office as he hands the artifact over to the Martian Manhunter, saying that James got a little overzealous and wanted to use the artifact, so Savage couldn't let him do it. And he turned on him, that he always just wanted to make sure that it landed in the right hands. Mm Mm-hmm. Sure. Sure. He also says that he knew about Martian Manhunter because he had gotten lax over the years and Vandal and his team had decades to learn about his strengths and weaknesses. Manhunter, who never goes by John in the book, by the way, remarks that he's going to keep it safe and before he has the chance to leave, Vandal invites him in a room that he says is secure and he'd like to talk to him unsurveilled for a second. And like a doofus, Martian Manhunter walks right in, only for Savage to lock the door behind him and through the glass door we see Savage click a switch and flames envelop the room, engulfing our Martian Manhunter and leaving a pile of bones. Savage straight up killed him. Back at Linda's house, the police have set up a speaker system so Barry can talk to Wally through the comms, baiting him out by saying that Wally can't go around pretending to be Barry even though he's always wanted to be him. Linda knows what's up and she's like, this is obviously bait. But Wally falls for it anyway and speeds out to get to Allen Industries on the subspace warping platform and races to Barry, who hits the button and transports them to Odysseus. Barry apologizes for tricking him, but says he had to get them away from the public where Wally could get someone hurt. Wally goes into vibrating mode and is about to breach the hole to escape. But before he does, Barry says that he'll die again and asks Wally what he remembers last. Kind of like that trailer for Days of Future Past where Patrick Stewart is all like, What's the last thing you remember? Anyway, he explains that Wally just died and had been resurrected and immediately guesses the exact circumstance that he's a genetic replicant. Barry says that it's all his fault and he feels like he pressured Wally into getting the artifact and accidentally gaining the speed power, which I really like that they tied this in so Wally still got his powers because of Barry even in this reality. It's a nice little touch. Barry tells Wally to come over and touch him and Wally, desperate to get better, does, immediately sparking them both up. If you look closely, you can see Barry's hands upturned for the first time in the book, and it's kinda cool. They're back on the platform in Earth, and Barry tells Iris to check on Wally, saying that they found a way to release all his energy. Dibney says that Savage is requesting to see Barry personally and Iris, being the smart badass that she is, is like, nope, you're dumb if you go. And Barry says that he was smart enough to marry Iris West and grabs her hand and says a guy that smart couldn't possibly have a dumb bone in his body. And let me tell you, Iris was shook. Outside of Savage's building and here we are, the final showdown. Barry's passing the security who remarked that they have a gun trained on Savage and that they'll fire when they can. Barry asks them not to as Savage comes out singing a hymn. Barry tries to talk some sense into Savage but he's like full on wide-eyed crazy person mode saying that he's found the speed equations, that the big bang was just a waste of time to look into and that Barry should have been looking into the moment that time will fold in on itself and that that's where heaven lies. The point where all consciousness recollects itself from death has a force to it, a force of mass and acceleration, a speed force. Bringing not only reality back, but all the realities that could have been. And let me tell you guys, this is the flashpoint that I know. <laughs> Savage says that that's what the artifact does. It's a conduit for the flashpoint and channels it to the present, turning all organic matter into pure quantum energy. As Savage gives his college-level lecture, snipers are trained on him, asking the president what to do. Now remember, President 10 terms over here is only alive because of Savage, so he's got some steak in the barbecue, if you know what I mean. Vandal reveals to Barry that he only helped Barry this long to slow him down and learn about the speed force, and that it was indeed him that shot Barry that day in Dallas, testing out some early subspace technology. He's the one that stole Barry's life. But Barry, still trying to be the good guy, forgives him and tells him to release the conduit. Savage says, nah, and he's ready to use it. But JFK gives the order and the snipers shoot. Barry jumps out of his wheelchair. This is his redemption moment. But his legs have atrophied over the years, even with Wally's supercharge, and he's not fast enough to stop the bullet from killing Savage. The artifact hangs in the air and activates, Barry racing after the lightning to catch it. And when he does, he absorbs the energy and it is the Red Bull he needed as he jolts off to cut off every splinter the lightning across the world as it travels, getting more and more energy and speed as he does, passing the speed of light, the speed of thought, and he is fulfilling the very first dream that he has in the book. He runs right into the flashpoint and he is greeted by the entire Justice League, cheering him on as he's back in his red costume with teenage Wally running up to him Barry says that this isn't rational and he must be hallucinating, but the last words we hear Barry say in the book is that he can't wipe the smile or the tears from his face. Ralph Dibney's case files bring us home as he says nobody can explain what they saw that day. Savage got shot and Barry Allen disappeared, sacrificing himself as he tends to do. Iris says that Barry's in a better place and JFK awards him a posthumous medal as Ralph remarks that he's looking older every day. Wally's memories slowly return, and he and Linda start spending some time together, and they have Barry Allen to thank for that. For a book that I didn't know existed two weeks ago, I actually really enjoyed this Elseworlds tale. I love the dynamics we have here, like I mentioned earlier, that Barry always gives Wally his powers, and that he ended up having like this reverse New 52 rebirth situation where Barry, using a lightning rod of sorts, was reunited with the Justice League and his family from the reality that we know. I liked all the craziness that like JFK was immortal and was on his 10th term. And really, I just feel bad for Leonard Snart, who just seemed like a legit good guy who happened to work for a bad guy. But that's also kind of his motif is that he's like reluctantly a bad guy. There's also two cool articles from writer Pat McGreal in issues two and three that discuss the three year journey Flashpoint went through and how he and Norm Brayfogel collaborated to get the series to where it was. Joey Cavalieri also has a short thing right at the end telling folks that this was the first Elseworlds miniseries and he'd love to hear feedback, which I had no clue that not only did this book even exist, but it was the first Elseworlds miniseries. That's crazy. But anyway, thank you guys so much for listening. This was a blast to read, write up and record. So I really hope that you liked it. And if you did, be sure to subscribe to the starting line on all your favorite podcast services to listen when a new episode comes out. And just an editor on YouTube to get alerted when it releases. In the next episode, we're going back all the way to 1987 and starting the Flash at its number one refresh after Crisis on Infinite Earths when Wally takes over the cow, and we're going to go forward from there. So be sure to check it out, and I'll see you in the Speed Force.